Well, this morning we continue on in 1 Peter 2. And so I'd invite you to take your Bibles and open them to 1 Peter chapter 2. And I'll read for us this portion here that we've been studying over the last couple weeks, beginning in verse 13. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 13. Peter tells us this, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as freemen. Do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Scottish historian Thomas Carlyle said this. He said, show me the man you honor and I will know what kind of man you are. What a great quote. We've been studying here in our passage, Submission, in 1 Peter 2. And this morning, we're talking about God's command to us to honor all people and honor the King. Now, as we look at this passage here, specifically this verse, in verse 17, let me just remind you quickly of what we've studied so far in this passage. In verse 13, we saw the command for submission where Peter says there, submit yourselves. Submit yourselves. This is an act of submission that is a voluntary act, an act that is willing to submit to the authorities, the governing authorities whom God has established over us. Then we saw the motivation for submission found in verse 13 where Peter says it's for the Lord's sake. That we submit to the governing authorities for the Lord's sake. That's our motivation. We do all to the glory of God. We do all things for his sake which includes submitting to the governing authorities that God has established over us. Then last week we saw the reason for submission. Found in verse 15, where Peter says that this is the will of God, that by doing right, including submitting to the government, that we may silence the ignorance of foolish men. That is, we silence those who attack us because they hate our Lord and our Master and the gospel that we preach, and we silence them by our good deeds, by the good things that we do. Then we saw the character of submission found in verse 16 where Peter reminds us that we are free spiritually in Christ. But we are not to use our freedom in Christ as an excuse or a covering for evil. Which would include not submitting to the government. That would be an act of sin. of Not submitting to the government. In fact, as those who are free in Christ, remember that we are not free to do whatever we want. We're not. But we're free to do as our master says because we are slaves of him. Slaves of God. While we like to to think that as American citizens we have freedom to do whatever it is that we want to do, the reality is no one has absolute freedom. No one does. Try driving home this morning at 100 miles an hour and running every red light. And then tell the officer when he pulls you over, Officer, I have absolute freedom. What will he tell you? No, you don't. (laughs) At least not in my town. You don't. We don't have absolute freedom. All people are under an authority. Everyone is. And as American citizens, we are under the authority of the law that is over us. And so we're called to submit to the law, to the governing authorities. And especially as those who are slaves of God. 
because our God commands us to submit to the governing authorities who are over us. See, everyone has a master that they are to submit to. Everyone does. On the spiritual side of things, unbelievers are slaves of sin, and their master is the devil. He is their master. He is the one that they submit to. Well, you and I as believers, while we are free from sin, we are now slaves of God. He is our master and the one that we are to submit to. And so either you're a slave of sin or you're a slave to God. But no one has absolute freedom. No one does. And so that's the command, the motivation, the reason, and the character of our submission. This morning we come to our last point, point number five in this section here regarding submission to the government, and we'll call this the scope of submission. The scope of submission. Notice what Peter says there in verse 17. He gives us four rapid-fire commands here in a row. Honor, love, fear, honor. Four rapid-fire commands. And why does he give us these commands here? Well, remember what he just told us at the end of verse 16. He says that we are bond slaves of God. We are slaves under a master. And as those who are slaves under our master, now here are four more things that you must do. Now, let me just remind you of this because I know that you know this, but I just want to remind you of this. The Apostle Peter wrote the book of 1 Peter. He wrote it. But who ultimately wrote this book? God did. God wrote it. We know that Peter even tells us in 2 Peter 1.20, he says, But know first of all that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Then Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 3.16, All Scripture is inspired by God. It is breathed out by God, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. That means that what Peter has been writing to us is not just his own thoughts or his own opinions. But these words that we are reading here in front of us are breathed out by God Almighty. They come directly from him through the Apostle Peter to us. Peter's writing this as a man who's being moved along by the Holy Spirit and he's writing down exactly what God wants him to write down. That's what we have in front of us. And so when we read these words in our Bible, we must remember that this is exactly what God wants for us who are his bond slaves. These are the words of God. These are commands that are given by our master to those of us who are his slaves. You see, if we disobey these words, or we think we don't need to listen to these, it's, it's like telling God to his face, I won't do what you tell me to do. not a good place to be in it's never a good place to be in so what should we do we should pay attention to this pay attention to what God has to say and as I said the the very first command that's given in this section here in verses 13 through 17 is found back up in verse 13 where we're commanded to submit ourselves to the governing authorities But now in verse 17 here, we're given four more commands to summarize how we are to live out this life of submission. Now, before we get into each one of these individually, let me just help you understand how these are laid out here. 
Notice that there are, there are four commands in verse 17 there. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. And notice that one of these commands here is given twice. The command to honor is given twice there. Some of you, if you're reading the NIV, at the beginning will say respect, but in the Greek, it's the exact same word. It should be honor and honor. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. And there's debate here on Peter's thinking about how these are laid out. Some will say that Peter is using a chiastic structure. Chiastic structure, what is that? A chiastic structure would be summarized as A, B, B, A. So that your A's are the same and your B's are the same. Or at least they're grouped together. There's similarities between them. A, B, B, A. That's a chiastic structure. The first and the last are the same and the two in the middle are the same. So they would say the first and the last have to do with our relationships outside of the family of God where he says honor all people and honor the king. Then the middle two have to do with our relationship inside the family of God where you have love the brotherhood and fear God. So that's one view of this. Chiastic structure, A-B-B-A, those outside of the church and what is inside of the church. Some also see no real connection at all, but just rapid-fire commands that are generalizations that apply to one's entire life. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Just rapid-fire commands. Others see this structure as the first two belonging together, that is our relationship to people, all people, and then brothers and sisters in Christ, and then the second two dealing with our relationship to authority, being the divine and the human authority under which we live as believers. You notice there, where he says, honor all people, love the brotherhood. Then he goes on to authority, fear God, and honor the king. So what is it? How do we see this? Well, we can't be dogmatic about Peter's thoughts here, but I believe this last structure is a good way to view this. This last one. View it as two and two. Two and two. So we could break these four commands down by seeing the first two is dealing with our relationship to people, and then the second two is dealing with our relationship to authority in our lives. But this is all under the scope of submission and how we are to live this out as believers in our lives. So that's how we're going to look at this, two and two. Let's look at the first command here. In this list here in verse 17, he says, honor all people. Who is the all people that Peter is talking about here? Well, this is not just believers, but even unbelievers are to be honored. All people are to be honored. That word honor in the Greek there is the word tamao, and it means to show high regard for or to value. To show high regard for or to value. As believers in Christ, we are to treat every person with dignity and respect. Every person. doesn't matter who they are. We're to treat them with dignity and respect. And why do we treat them with honor or treat them with respect? Well, we don't respect them because of their sin that they're committing. Obviously, we disagree with the sin that sinners are committing. But we respect them and show them honor because they are created in the image of God. Every human being is created in the image of God. Genesis 1.27 says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. This means that even unbelievers are created in God's image. Sure, they may not acknowledge that or like to hear that. Go to an unbeliever and say, did you know that you're created in the image of God? Uh, don't tell me about your God. Well, you're created in his image. 
That's what the Bible says. They might not like to hear it, but it's true. It's true. There are human beings who have been created by our God in His image. And if we were to understand what's going on in Peter's day, a slave, remember, Paul just comes out as saying that we are bond slaves of God. A slave, though, was seen as being property. A person who was a slave in Peter's day, they were seen as property. They were seen as being non-persons with no rights. They were bought They were property, they were not people, and they had no rights. That's how they viewed slaves then. What's Peter saying here? Peter's saying here that that is not how we treat other people. We don't treat them that way. People are not to be treated as things, but as people who are created in God's image. Why? Why? Well, let me ask you, is any sinner above being saved? No. No sinner is above being saved. God saved us, right? Is any sinner above being saved? Just go home and look in the mirror or look at that one on your way out and go, wow. (laughs) God saved sinners. Us. We really look at our hearts. We should be in awe that God would save a wretched sinner like me. But he has. God saves sinners. And therefore, God can even save the most wicked of persons who are still created in his image. In fact, we have an example of this in Scripture. Who's our example? The Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, who was a man who was persecuting Christians and even approving of putting Christians to death. The Apostle Paul was there at Stephen's death when he was being stoned to death. He was there. And so no person is out of reach of being saved which means we must honor them and treat them with dignity and respect. Yes, even the politicians in whom we disagree with. We can disagree with them. We can disagree with them and their policies. But we must honor them. We must show respect to them because they are human beings who are created in the image of God. We must treat them with honor. And Peter is not just narrowing here to those who are over us, but he he broadens this out and he says to all people, honor all people. Not just specifically the authority that's over you, but you're to honor all people. This means we don't discriminate against any class of people because of race or nationality or economic status. In fact, listen to what James tells us in James 2.1. James says this, My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious, uh, our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing fine clothes, the fine clothes, and say, you sit here in a good place, and you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down by my footstool. He says, have you not made distinctions among yourselves? And listen to this. He says, and become judges with evil motives? What's he saying there? saying that act... If showing honor to some people but not to others, he says, that's evil. It's sin. Evil motives in your heart. He says, listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. What's James saying there? Don't do that. 
Don't do that. Don't discriminate. You're to honor all people. Both the rich and the poor you honor. He's not saying there, then, then we swing the pendulum and we honor only the poor person and we don't honor the rich person. That's not what he's saying here. What's, he knows you're already going to show honor to the rich person. He's saying you need to honor both. You need to treat them equally. We are to honor all people because all people have been created in the image of God. So that's the first command that's given. We honor all people. Then our second command in dealing with our relationships with people there is to love the brotherhood. We're called to love the brotherhood. Peter now gets more specific. Whereas the last command was broad, Peter now gets narrower here, and he's speaking specifically about those in the church, brothers and sisters in the church. And the command here is not just to honor those in the church as we are commanded to honor all people, which would include everyone in the church as well, right? But now something far more is expected of us in our relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ. Yes, we do honor them. We do honor brothers and sisters in Christ as we're called to honor all people. But he says here, we are to love those in the church. We're to love those in the church. This is what Peter means by brotherhood here. Brothers and sisters in Christ. And remember, Peter's already commanded this back in chapter 1 and verse 22. Where he said in verse 22, Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, he says, fervently love one another from the heart. He's already commanded us to do this. And he commands us again to do this. Love the brotherhood. As those who are born again, we belong to a new family. We belong to a new family. We are now a part of the family of God. That's our new family. See, we need to see each other as that. We need to look around we did earlier this morning to remember we're singing to one another so we sing to our God we also sing to one another and look around brothers and sisters in Christ here's your family we're all a part of the same family because we're all in Christ Peter calls that family here the brotherhood now notice the brotherhood is also collective It's also collective. Peter is not saying here that we only love a few people in the church. We don't just love a few of those in the brotherhood, but that we're to love everyone who are believers in Christ. Every person who is born again, who belongs to Christ, we love them. Now, why are we commanded to love our brothers and sisters in Christ? Well, listen to what Jesus said in John 13, 34. He says this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. What's the purpose of us loving one another in the church? It shows the world that we are disciples of Christ. And they should see that and they should know that by our love that we have for each other. They should look at the church and they should go, what's going on there? You guys, you have this love for each other that we out here don't. What's going on there? Is, is that what your Jesus is telling you to do? Yeah, it's what he's told us. And we love him. So we love each other. Because he's commanded us to love one another. We're his disciples. Tertullian, a second century 
church leader, he reported in one of his writings that the pagan world admired the love that Christians had for one another. This is the second century. And the pagans even admired the Christians for the love that they had for one another. And he reported that the pagans would say this. They would say, see how they love one another? How they are ready even to die for one another. pagans in Tertullian's day they saw that from the church church was a witness to the watching world because listen church the world is watching they're watching and they want to see if we really believe what we claim to believe and the way that we can show to the watching world that we love Christ is by loving one another how we show our love for Christ we love one another because Christ commanded us to love one another and our love for one another is also to display the father's love for Christ and Christ's love for us we're putting on display the father's love for Christ we're putting on display Christ's love for us and when we love one another we're putting on display the love that Christ has for us and how did Christ show his love for us? What did he do? He laid down his very life for us. That's what we're commanded to do for brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the kind of love that we're supposed to have for one another, that we will willingly lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. That's the kind of love that we're to have for one another. And when we love this way, we show the world that we're different from them. And we're different by the way that we display our love for one another. And I'll say it this way, it also shows our submission to Christ. You see, our love for one another shows our submission to Christ. How? Because 1 John 3, 23 says, but uh, this is the commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. Our master told us to believe in Jesus Christ. He told us to believe. And we say, check, done that. Aren't you glad I'm obeying you, Lord? I believe in Jesus Christ. Of course I do. I'm submitting to you, Father, and I'm believing in Christ. Because remember, the gospel is a command. It's a command to believe. You must believe in Christ. And we say, yes, Lord, I will submit. I will believe in Christ. Then John says, and love one another just as he commanded us. Can we say, check, I do that? You see, as we submit to him, we will do that. That will be our heart. We will love one another. And that will reflect to the watching world that we belong to Christ. Now, you might ask, well, well what about the world? I mean, aren't we to love the world? Yes, we are. In fact, Jesus even commanded us to love who? Our enemies. Love those who hate us. Love them. We are commanded to love the world. We are commanded to love our enemies. But listen to what Paul says in Galatians 6.10. He says, so then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. Especially of them. Paul says here, we're to, we're to do good to all people, but especially to those who are the of the household of faith. What's he talking about? Family. Brothers and sisters in Christ. Do good to all men, but especially to those brothers and sisters in Christ who are around you. Do good to them, to the brotherhood. 
You see, there's a, there's a special relationship that we have with one another in Christ. And so we're to take care of each other first and foremost. First and foremost, we take care of each other. Do we care for others? Yes, of course we do. But it should start in the household of God and then move on beyond that to the other people outside of the church. It begins here. It begins in the church. And then it'll move outside of the church. And listen, this is how we influence those outside of the church. You want to influence those outside of the church? Love your brothers and sisters in the church. And you'll influence them. God has ordained for the church to be an influence to the unbelieving world. God has ordained for you and I to be an influence to them. And it starts, though, here within the context of the local church. And as they watch us, And what we do, they should see our love for one another and our dedication to each other as we seek to honor the Lord. And then they should say, as the pagans did in Tertullian's day, see how they love one another, how they are ready even to die for one another. Are you ready to die for your brothers and sisters in Christ? kind of love that we're to have. And why would we do that? Why would we love like that? Because this is what we're commanded to do. And we are people who are under authority and are called to submit to our master. And when our master tells us that we are to love the brotherhood, then we say, yes, Lord. Yes, master. And we do it. We love. Yes, we honor all men, but we're commanded to love our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And so those are the commands that deal with our relationship to people. Let's look at the last two commands here that speak to our relationship with authority. In verse 17 here, notice there's a third command. Very simple, two words, fear God. Pretty simple, huh? Fear God. Now, notice who Peter limits this fear to. We are only to fear who? Our God. Why? Well, that word fear there means to have a profound measure of respect for, to have reverence for. And it has special reference to a fear of offending the one who is referenced. A special reference to a fear of offending the one who is referenced, namely our God here. There's a special reference here in this word fear where we fear offending our God. You see, the world doesn't care about offending God, right? They don't care. They offend God all day long. Why? Because they have no fear of him. We should fear offending our God. Which Peter's already addressed back in chapter 1 and verse 17, where he says there, if you address as father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. How are you to live your life? You're to live your life in fear. Of who, man? Of the king? No. Of God. We're to live our lives in fear of Him. As one commentator says, only God is to be feared, and there is a proper sense of dread and terror before the Holy One of Israel. God alone is to be worshiped, not the Emperor. It's God alone. See, God is the one whom everyone is going to stand before. He's the ultimate judge. He's the one who will judge every single person, not the emperor, not the king. God will judge them. 
so there's a sense in which all men must fear God because all men are going to stand before him, right? It's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And so all men should, but unbelievers don't. But we're not to act like the unbelievers, right? So what are we commanded to do? To fear God. Why? Because we know him. Because we know who our God is. Because we know that our God is a God who is just. Because we know that our God is a God of wrath. Because we know that our God is a God who is loving and merciful and gracious and kind. And he has shown mercy to us when we deserved his wrath. So how should I respond? God, I fear you. God, I fear you. You're the great God of the universe. I don't want to offend you. I want to obey you. Also implied in this fear then for us as believers is that we have an attitude of awe and reverence for God. That we should have awe and reverence for God. Oftentimes we hear when we talk about fearing God, oftentimes we only hear this definition. That the only thing that we're to do is just to have awe and reverence for God. But in that word fear is a sense of which we don't want to offend our God. There's a sense in which there is fear of being afraid of our God. Because we know who he is. Because God is the one who gives life and God is the one who takes life. Because he's the sovereign God over the universe. He is all power. He is all authority. And therefore we fear him. But also in that is this awe and this reverence for God. This is something that we don't give to the king. We don't give this fear, this awe and this reverence to the king. We fear God. In fact, Solomon tells us in Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And then he says in Proverbs 3.7, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. What's he saying there? When you fear God because you have an awe and a reverence and yet a fear of him, knowing that he's a God who is just, there's a sense in which that causes us to turn away from evil, right? To say, okay, God, I don't want to sin against you. Because you are God. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. You want to turn from evil? You want to have less sin in your life? Fear God. Turn up your fear. And so he says here, we're to fear God. We're not to fear man. But instead, we are to trust in the Lord. In fact, Solomon says in Proverbs 29, 25, the fear of man brings a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. What does he do there? He, he compares the fear of man with the trust in the Lord. He's saying, look, don't fear man. Who are you to fear? You're to fear God. And what does that fear look like? You trust him. You trust him. And so implied in this fear that Peter, that Peter speaks of here is also this trust. As we fear God, we trust him in all circumstances, even ones we don't like or we don't agree with. Did you hear that, church? We trust him in all circumstances, even ones we don't like or we don't agree with. We still trust him. You think about a king who is doing something that we don't agree with. What are we commanded to do? Trust our God. Trust him. You see, I think sometimes we need to watch a little bit less news. Just turn it off and say, God's in control. I can trust in my God. 
He is working all things out for our good and for his glory. He's promised that. But sometimes we get so caught up in all the things that are going on, all the things that we don't like and we disagree with, that it begins to challenge our trust in the Lord. Listen, when that happens, church, turn it off. Trust the Lord. He's sovereign. He's on his throne. And listen, no one is taking him off of his throne. No one is. He's sovereign. And so even in those times, times when things are happening around us that we don't like or we don't agree with, we are to submit to our God because we fear Him and we trust Him. As long as we are not commanded to sin against God, we submit and we fear God. We trust in Him. And because we fear God, He's the only one that we worship. Because we fear Him, He's the only one that we worship. Not only do we trust Him, but we also worship Him. There is no one else or nothing else that is to be the object of our worship. God alone is to be the object of our worship, for He is the one we ultimately fear. And remember, Peter's readers, these people, these believers that Peter is writing to here, they were living in a day when emperor worship was encouraged. Many saw the emperor as Lord. They saw Caesar as Lord. And so they would worship him as a deity. And they would fear him. Peter tells us here that fear and trust and worship doesn't belong to the emperor. It belongs only to our God. Now, as we talk about this fear of God... It is this fear of God that also encourages us as believers to submit to the authorities whom God has placed over us. Why do we submit to them? We submit to them because we fear God. It's that fear of God that should drive us to be obedient to our God who says, submit to the governing authorities. We trust ultimately in God knowing that God has commanded us to submit to our authorities. And so when we talk about a relationship to the authorities over us, our ultimate authority is God and we're commanded to fear Him alone. Now we come to our, our fourth and final command here in verse 17. The command there is to honor the king. Peter now brings it full circle here. Full circle, as he began back up in, in verse 13 where he commanded us to submit ourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution. And then he says, whether to a king or as the one in authority. Peter uses the same word for king here in verse 17 as he does back up in verse 13. And for Peter's readers, this would bring to mind the emperor of Rome who was Nero. A wicked, evil king. And what does Peter command them to do? To honor him. To honor him. This is the same command that Paul gives in Romans 13, 7. Render to all what is due to them. Tax to whom taxes due. Custom to whom custom. Fear to whom fear. Honor to whom honor. Oh, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Fear to whom fear? Who are we to fear? We fear God. Honor to whom honor? Who are we to honor? All people and the king. And what's interesting here is that Peter doesn't say that we are to fear the king, but we're to honor him just like we are to honor all people. What does Peter do here? This is, this is brilliant. What does Peter do here? He puts the king in his rightful place. 
He says the king deserves honor just like all people do because all are created in the image and likeness of God, including the king. And in Peter's day, this would bring Caesar down to his rightful place as many in the secular world were a part of the imperial cult that worshipped Caesar as Lord. And many feared him and they worshipped him. What does Peter do? He brings the king back down to where he belongs. He's not to be worshipped. He's not to be feared. He's not to be trusted. That's God alone who is to be feared and worshipped and trusted. It's God alone. But the king is to be honoured. Why? Because he's a man just like us. He's created in the image of God just like us. Fear is to be given to God, honor is to be given to the king, just as we honor all people. He's created in the image of God, and so we honor him. Now, how can you and I honor him? How can we honor the king? Well, we can start by reading by what we read this morning in, in 1 Timothy 2.1 where Paul says, First of all then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men for kings and all who are in authority. And when Paul is writing that, Paul is speaking of Nero as well. And I love this. This is, this is mind-blowing because he says, Entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings. When was the last time you thanked God for our president? Mm. But that's what I'm commanded to do. That's right. That's what we're commanded to do. For all people. For all men. For kings and all who are in authority. Imagine Paul getting down on his knees after all of the persecution that Paul has gone through, the time that the Apostle Paul has spent in jail, and he prays for Nero, who was responsible for the arrest and execution of many Christians in that day. Wow. It's what he did. How do we know? Because it's what he wrote to us. It's what he told us to do. And he tells us to imitate him. Tells the churches, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So what did he do? He did this. The Apostle Paul prayed for Nero? The wicked, evil king? Yeah, he did. And so we can start by praying for those who are in authority over us. We can pray for wisdom for them as they have been given a position over us by God to lead us. Pray that God would grant them wisdom and how they lead. And we can pray for their salvation, that God would grant them repentance and faith. Let me ask you, when was the last time that you prayed for our nation's leaders? In your own personal prayer time. When was the last time that you prayed for our nation's leaders? That's what we're commanded to do. Pray for them. When the news is getting you all worked up, turn it off and pray. And pray for them. Trusting in God. You say you, you might say, well, well, I don't like them. Listen, church, we're not called to like them. We're called to love them. We're called to love them and to honor them because they have been given a position by God to which they are responsible for. And let me remind you, they are responsible for everything that they do. And they will stand before God one day. They won't stand before us. We're not their judge. But they will stand before God. 
So what should we do? Pray for them. And pray for them. Listen, church. Especially when we realize that they will stand before God one day. What would we desire for them? That they get the wrath of God? It should never be our heart. What should we desire for them? That God would be merciful and that God would save them. Because we understand where they're headed. We understand what their future is like. If they die in the state in which they're in as unbelievers, we know what is to come, an eternity of hell under the wrath of God. We don't desire that for anyone. We should remember what God has done for us. God has saved us from his wrath. Oh God, may you be merciful to the king. Save him from your wrath, God. God, be merciful to President Biden. Save him, Lord. Pray that God would have mercy on their soul. And so we honor them by by praying for them. And we honor them by submitting to them as we understand that they have been put there by God. We can talk about stolen elections all day. Guess what? He is right where he needs to be. He is exactly where God ordained for him to be. Nothing has knocked God off of his throne, church. Nothing. He's been put there by God. And all the authorities who are over us in government, they are there because that is where God wants them. And so we submit to them. And by submitting to them, we show them honor. We show them honor. Listen, you think any election is out of the hands of our sovereign God? You think God was in heaven going, whoa, what's going on down there? Why is this happening? Nothing surprises God. He knows all things. He's sovereign. He's our master. And he tells us that we honor the king and we do that by submitting to him and to all who are in authority over us. And even when they do things that are not worthy of honor or respect, we still have to honor them because God is the one who has put them there. And listen, this takes us right back to the previous command, right? Honor them, why? Because we fear God. Now, church, I know that this is hard. I'm not telling you this is easy. Especially when you're watching the news. It's not easy to do. It's hard. When we see the wickedness and the the evil that's going on around us, when we see those who are in authority who are even approving of wicked and evil acts. This is hard, and we have to admit that. And I am admitting that to you. It's hard. But it doesn't give us license to rebel or revolt or even to speak evil of those whom God has placed in authority over us. It doesn't give us license to do that. 
In fact, Paul tells us in Titus 3, 2 that we are to malign no one after he just talks about submitting to the, the governing authorities. He says malign no one. That word malign there means to speak evil of. Speak evil of no one, including the king. And when the the flesh begins to rise up and we want to go there, we have to remind ourselves and each other that we need to walk in the spirit so that we don't fulfill the desires of the flesh. We need each other in this. We talked about that earlier in equipping hour. We are interdependent upon one another. We need each other in the church. So that if we see a brother or sister in Christ whose flesh begins to rise up, we can come alongside them and encourage them and say, no, remember, we fear God and we honor the king. He's in control. We don't malign anyone. We don't speak evil of anyone. And let me just say that if you have ever heard me do this, I ask for your forgiveness. Because it's not right. It's sin against our God. And I ask for you to forgive me and to hold me accountable. Because our God commands us that we're to honor all people, we're to show respect to everyone. Listen, church, I'm. I'm just going to tell you, this passage here has really impacted my heart. As I've, we'll preach three sermons on this now. (laughs) On one, two, three, four, five verses. Spent a lot of time in this. And this passage has greatly impacted my heart. And my prayer is that it impacts your heart as well. That we be a people who hold each other accountable in this area. That we submit to the authority who's over us. That we malign no one. That we pray for our leaders and those who are over us. In closing, these are some pretty straightforward commands that we've been given regarding submission. We're commanded by God to submit to the governing authorities over us, to honor all people, to love the brotherhood, to fear God, and to honor the king. And why do we do this? Because this is what our master has not only told us what to do, but he's also modeled this for us. This is what our Savior did. This is how he lived his life. And as we do this, we're being a light unto the watching world who is watching how you and I respond to the circumstances around us. They're watching. May we be a light unto this world and a people who reflect the heart of our Savior. May the world see our good deeds and glorify our God who is in heaven. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this glorious text. Lord, we have to admit it's difficult, difficult at times because the flesh desires to rise up instead of submit, submit to you and submit to those around us. Father, I pray that this would convict us Lord, that we would grow in our walk with you. That we would be light in this dark world. That we would be faithful to preach Christ. and That we would be faithful to live for Christ. Father, that you would use our lives. Use us as you please, as your slaves. to be witnesses in this world of you, our great God. 
that you might use us to win others to Christ. Because, Lord, we know that that is the greatest gift of all. And that is what we would desire for all people, as we know that that is your heart as well, that you desire for all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Father, may that be our heart. May we live it out for your glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.